live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Jane Matinier left the building. And it's it's fine. She bailed out quick. Because I I was going to... But if she would have stayed, I would have given her $5 because it just it just makes my heart good. I feel glad that any time you do a newscast and you can figure out a story about feral pigs, it just it just works for me. You know, uh, just 480 pound feral pigs running rampant in Texas, running rampant in Texas. Right. Which does raise the question about, you know, do you can you eat them when you kill? Them? I would imagine. I mean, you can, you can do that and stuff. But I'm thinking any any newscast that features a story on feral pigs Get is working for me. It's <laughs> worth five bucks just to hear it. All right. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. We're going to talk about the local elections, but not until the one o'clock hour, because there's there's some national stuff that I want to talk about. And as I said during our transition with Steve Scafidi, the um, I am I am mindful of the fact that by the time the one o'clock hour rolls around over the course of the next 60 minutes, I will have perhaps hacked off all of you. And I, I just get doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left, you will probably be mad at me for a number of the different uh, positions I'm going to have. But you know what? Truth truth is an absolute defense. And on this program, we live in the real world, and we call them as we see them. Let us get started. I think what Donald Trump did yesterday with the commutations and the pardons was an absolute travesty. I understand that this is a man who is probably incapable of feeling shame, but he should be ashamed of himself for what he did. There is no excuse for it. Now, does that mean, as we'll talk about later in the hour, that you can't vote for him? No, but it was very, very troubling. And I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative, a liberal, a moderate. I don't care where you are. You should be alarmed at what Donald Trump did yesterday by deciding to hand out, get out of jail card free trees to people who, well, should in fact be in prison, and then to issue pardons to people whose really only claim to be pardoned was the fact that, well, okay, maybe they were pals of the president back before he was president. Right. But I have said before, I understand that the, the Constitution gives the president great power when it comes to pardoning people, which is to say, Pardons are issued as a general rule when somebody has been convicted of something but has served their sentence. Um, Scott Walker did not issue any pardons during the eight years that he was the governor. He just didn't think that, that was the role that a governor should have, even though he had the power to do it. 
Tony Evers in Wisconsin has used his power to issue certain pardons. But in all those cases, it's been people who were convicted a long time ago of small time crime, essentially, and who've lived exemplary lives. And hey, you want to you want to be able to you know, own a gun to go hunting, things like that. So I I. I have not been critical at all of Evers' use of the pardon power, just like I wasn't critical of Walker saying I'm not going to pardon people. All right. The governor and the president also have the power to commute a sentence. That means the governor or the president, the president can say you've been convicted of a federal crime. You are sitting in federal prison. I hereby release you. So you are turning convicted criminals loose on the streets. So far, Tony Evers has not commuted any sentences. Yesterday, Donald Trump commuted sentences. The highest profile sentence that he commuted was that of the corrupt, crooked, scumbag, former governor of Illinois, Rob Blagojevich, who was convicted of bribery and assorted other offenses. What he essentially did in the best tradition of Illinois politicians is he he sold Senate seats. Barack Obama, U.S. Senator from Illinois. Obama gets elected president in 2008. It creates a vacancy. Blagojevich gets the right to fill that appointment. Well, he took bribes. You know, he, he was kind of like, okay, whoever gives me the most money is going to get this. And then he lied about it. So he gets convicted, goes to prison, I think, in 2012, um, after making an appearance on The Celebrity Apprentice that Donald Trump was the host for, goes to prison, supposed to be there till 2024, and for reasons that pass understanding, Donald Trump lets him out of prison yesterday. And by the way, Blagojevich is not repentant at all. Not not at all. He's kind of like, well, this is this is this is politics. I got convicted of politics. No, you slime bag, you got convicted for taking bribes. Which brings me to a case that got a lot less attention, but it deserves scrutiny. It is the case of Judith Negrone. She is like a 40-some-year-old uh, Miami woman. Let me, let me read to you. And, and Trump commuted her sentence, let her out of prison yesterday. I have in my hand the press release that the Department of Justice put out back in 2011 after Judith Negron was convicted of Medicare fraud. So this is what happened after she went to trial and was convicted of 24 counts of fraud. Let me just read you a couple paragraphs. This is from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Miami. Um, a federal jury today convicted a Miami area owner of a mental health care company, American Therapeutic Corporation, for orchestrating a fraud scheme that resulted in the submission of more than $205 million in fraudulent claims to Medicare. All right, you did not mishear me. The fraud, $205 million. The news release continues. After a six-day trial, a jury in the Southern District of Florida found Judith Negron, 40, guilty of 24 felony counts, including conspiracy to commit health care fraud, health care fraud, conspiracy to pay and receive illegal health care kickbacks, conspiracy to commit money laundering, money laundering, and structuring to avoid reporting requirements. Uh, Negron was charged February 15th of 2011. 
Judith Negron and her co-conspirators masterminded one of the largest schemes ever prosecuted by the Medicare Fraud Strike Force, um, says Assistant Attorney General, whatever. They brazenly submitted more than $200 million in fraudulent claims to the Medicare program. Ms. McGrone may have thought she could scam the American taxpayer with impunity. Today, a Miami jury showed her otherwise, and now she has found out what the price of Medicare fraud is, and it is extremely high. Through bribery... kickbacks, the creation of false patient files and other documents, Negrone and her co-conspirators submitted hundreds of millions of dollars in fraudulent claims to Medicare for community mental health treatments for ineligible patients. After a week-long trial, a jury convicted Negrone of orchestrating this massive fraud scheme. Evidence at trial demonstrated that Negrone, along with her co-defendants, masterminded and executed a scheme to defraud Medicare beginning in 2002 and continuing until they were arrested in October of 2010. And then it goes on to give the details. But you, you get the idea. This woman is a major league scam artist. $200 plus million plus in fraud to the federal government. Under the sentencing guidelines, she got 35 years in prison. 35 years in prison. She has served eight. And yesterday, Donald Trump gave her a get-out-of-jail-free card. $205 million in fraud perpetrated on the American public. She ends up serving eight years. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the Blagojevich pardon, I think the commutations, and I think the commutation in particular of somebody who's built the taxpayers out of $200 million and essentially shaving 27 years off her prison sentence is absolutely inexcusable. It is indefensible. It is shameful that the president of the United States would choose to do it. And again, I don't care if you're a Trump supporter or a never Trump person. Doesn't this bother you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because as you can tell, it sure as heck bothers me. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, look, I, I think I think pardon power, which is, hey, you're you're not a felon anymore. Get on with your life. And commutation power, hey, I'm, I'm going to commute your prison sentence. I think it needs to be used exceedingly sparingly. And in general, I think only in cases where you're really convinced that there, there especially with commutations, where you're really convinced that a huge injustice has been done. The woman that Trump pardoned, uh, commuted her sentence yesterday, 35-year prison sentence, who stole $200-plus million from the taxpayers in one of the largest Medicare frauds ever perpetrated, to commute her sentence, I think was appalling, and it should anger everybody. Let's start with Jesse in Milwaukee. Jesse, you're first. Good afternoon. Yes, I'm very pissed off about it. It's, it's, it's no justice for the average American. We pay more in taxes. We don't get the same type of justice when it comes to the law. This isn't that the first person that committed such a heinous crime and did not pay for it. You got rich 
heart surgeon committing welfare fraud that don't even go to jail mm-hmm. for a day. This is what's wrong with this country. We overlook what the rich people are doing. I have. Not, I wish I was rich, but if we're going to have justice for all, let's have justice for all. It was different if she didn't do it, but she did it, yep. and she profited by it. It's wrong. It's just wrong. Well, you know, it, it is. And, and I understand the point that you are making. Cause, I mean, let's, let us be honest here. If you had a 25 year old, um, let's say 23 year old kid from a, an, an urban background who walks into a 7-Eleven with a squirt gun that looks like it's a gun, puts it in the face of the, te- of the teller and takes $50 out of the till, that person may well do more time than this woman is going to do for bilking the taxpayers out of 200 plus million. And, you know, if you say to me it looks like unequal justice, I can't argue with me, my friend. I can't argue with it at all. No. It happens every day. Yep. It happens every day. Uh, we had kids, like you said, for the urban city that, first of all, nobody should steal. I don't care what race, color, where you're from. There's no reason to steal in America. We will feed you. We pay taxes to feed people who don't have money. But the thing about it is, if that little kid in that urban community can go to jail for six months a year for stealing the item for $5, a person who steals millions of dollars from Americans should at least pay the sentence that their peers gave them. I, I, no, thanks. I, I, I agree. And, and these are the types of things which you just – and look, I, I'm not a soft on crime guy. I, I'm the guy who says, hey, you know, you walk into that 7-Eleven and you stick a gun in somebody's face, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to go to prison. You need to go to prison for a long time. All right, I, I don't back off on that. But I freely acknowledge – that when you have somebody, and, and we're not even talking about a, a bank teller here who embezzled thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollars. That that's not two hundred and five million dollars in a scheme that they ran for eight years, a sophisticated scheme that involved paying kickbacks and fraudulent forms and lies and structuring, which is where you break up deposits uh, so as to hopefully not attract the attention of the IRS. This whole thing stinks to high heaven. David in Milwaukee. David, you're on WTMJ. Yes, good afternoon. Hi, David. So I, I, I agree with you 100%. I guess my question is, since they had real assets, they had a real company, was there restitution or did the government take those assets away that were liquid and and get some money back. I, I would hope that how, how many years did she serve? Uh, she served eight of a 35-year sentence. Um, I, and and, and that's a fair question. What, what was the restitution? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if the press was. I'm going to try to find that because obviously yeah. you, you, they never got the whole $200 million back. Now, hopefully they were able to get some of it back. You're right. But you would hope that they would be able to be able to trace her bank accounts, her family liquidity that she transferred, because uh, she obviously diluted it and hid it somewhere. I would think, especially when they when they got wind of the fact that they're going to be uh, called under attention with uh, their uh, their gimmick. Right. So I, it just seems to me that there should have been and should be for any uh, criminal uh, of that large amount. It didn't evaporate. Um, right. Okay. The let's see. My my number says that they were, they ended up um, 
they were ordered to pay $87 million in restitution. Now, whether they... So that's one-third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly steal a couple of hundred million if, as long as I can keep uh, uh, two-thirds. That, right. and, and, that's a fair trade. And do eight years in prison. Okay, you, know, you do eight years in prison, you walk away with $100 million. I don't know. It, yeah, see, it, uh, th- see that, but that's the, that's the calculus that's the, that goes on with this. And, and I will tell you, it is one of the things that for, I mean, ever since I started as a federal prosecutor, you know, way back in the day, it was one of the things that always drove me crazy with that we fact that if you were able to steal with a pen and a paper and a calculator, you know, we treated you differently than if you were able to just steal with your hands. And, and it's just it's almost impossible to explain. And it's equally impossible for me to understand how you can commute the sentence of of a 40-year-old woman who's doing 35 years in prison, commute the sentence, send her home free, given the scope of a fraud like this. And again, this isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. I have ripped on Democratic presidents for some of the pardon decisions that they made on the way out the door. Bill Clinton pardoning Mark Mark, um, Rich, who was uh, a fugitive financier whose wife had helped the Clintons raise all sorts of money. He pardoned him. The guy was on the lam, and he pardoned him. It was a huge abuse. So, But let's be honest. You know, what Clinton did was appalling. Um, Obama, on the way out, had some very, very questionable pardons. Well, Donald Trump doesn't apparently even feel that he needs to be on the way out. He does this, admittedly, in the light of day, you know, when he's running for election. But it's just, it's wrong. And I don't care where you come down on the issue. I don't care if you're a a never-Trumper or a Trump lover or a Republican or a Democrat. When you have chief executives who do things like this, they need to be called out for it. It was not a good day yesterday for the Trump administration. If you care about the system of justice that we have in this country, just saying. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As long as we are talking about a lack of accountability, isn't it interesting how how that appears to be sort of running through society? You have President Trump who decides that, gee, I, I don't like the sentences that some people got in the court system, so I am going to use, admittedly, the power that I have as the commander-in-chief. I'm going to upset the apple court. I'm going to cart. I'm going to overturn effectively what the jury did and what the judge did and what the system is set up to do because I have this higher sense of of justice. And, of course, the result is it, it turns out to not be justice for all. But this whole idea of lack of accountability, I think, runs through the system a lot. Now, I, I want to switch gears quickly. Let, let us talk about the world of sports and the story that is just roiling baseball. And I understand that this has been dissected a lot on the on the different sports talk shows and stuff. But but the commissioner of baseball, in my opinion, dealt with the Houston Astros cheating scandal about as poorly as he possibly could have and he's really got to have a mulligan and he's got to have it quickly for those of you who haven't been paying attention to this the houston astros won the world series in 2017 it now turns out that they cheated to win that 
Long story short, they were using video equipment to steal signs. So the hit, and then they had the system where somebody looking at a video camera could tell what pitch the opposing pitcher was going to throw. They would signal that pitch. They would tell them what it was going to be. It would be relayed to somebody in the dugout, and then somebody in the dugout would take a baseball bat and bang on like a water cooler to tell the Houston Astro player what pitch was coming. Is it going to be a curveball? Is it going to be a fastball, et cetera? Uh, I, I look. I, I'm not good enough to play Major League Baseball, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I knew a pitch was coming or not. It wouldn't make any difference. But for Major League Baseball players, if you know that you're going to be thrown a fastball as opposed to a curveball or something else, yeah, your your ability to hit is greatly enhanced, and that's what the Astros did. The Astros were cheaters, unquestionably. They were cheaters. Well, now this whole thing has fallen apart. Um, the manager of the Astros at the time has been suspended for a year. He was fired. The general manager was suspended for a year and was fired. Um, no baseball players have been disciplined. And the Houston Astros, the, the team, has not been disciplined either. And the commissioner of Major League Bay, uh, the commissioner is taking a lot of heat, as to an extent is the union president, because you have a lot of these union members who are out there saying, wait a second, we got screwed over. We were playing against the Astros in 2017, and some of our fellow union members were cheating to high heaven, and they're now not going to be disciplined. Give me a break. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I think should happen, all right? First of all, I think any player that played for the 2017 Houston Astros, I think they should be banned from appearing in the All-Star Game for, I would say, probably three years, right, period. And that might cost them some money because some of these players might have provisions that give them bonuses if they make the All-Star Game, to which I would say, tough toenails. You cheated, there has to be a a penalty. I would say, um, secondly... You've got to punish the team for what they did. Now, some people would say the team should uh, not be allowed to participate in the postseason. I, I don't go that far. I think the team should have no playoff games at home for, say, the next two or three years. Yeah, we're, we're going to still let you go. You can still participate in the playoffs, but you're not going to be allowed to have any home playoff games. And... Um, I think clearly, I think when you have a couple of the players, if you're able to determine who the architects of this were, I think maybe they need to be suspended as well. But if you don't do something like this, aren't we just sending the same message that the president sent yesterday to certain people? You, you're not going to be held accountable. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, don't we do – it is cheating is cheating. And don't there needs to be consequences when an institution gets caught cheating? And like I say, in my case, in this case with Houston, to not go after the organization and not to punish them in a meaningful way, I, I think would just be appalling. And in this particular case, like I say, no home playoff games for a couple years. The player's not allowed to participate in the all-star game. Maybe that's a start. All right, what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
I admit, it's this lack of accountability in so many different parts of society that ends up driving me crazy. And that this baseball story has been one of them. The idea that the Houston Astros cheated their way to the 2017 World Series. And essentially, nothing is going to happen to the people that were involved in it. Yeah, the general manager's a fall guy. Yes, the manager of the team is a fall guy. But it, it can't stop there. Can it? Um, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Greg. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, sir. What do you think? So here's the thing that I have. is Think about all the individual players that played against the Astros throughout the course of the regular season. How many records or stats or what have you were skewed, especially for opposing pitchers? Maybe their ERA went up slightly. Maybe they missed incentive clauses at the Astros' sure. fault. I mean, the Astros cheating. We don't know. I mean, maybe if the guy had a, a clause or had hit an ERA of four, and they constantly played the Astros that year during the same division. Yeah. And their ERA was inflated slightly yeah. because, you know, whatever, the cheating, and they missed out on a couple hundred thousand or what yeah. have you. I mean, it really, it's got a big time ripple domino effect throughout the league. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because that was, you know, back in in the era where you had all the steroid problems, there were clean yep. players who were making a variation of that same argument you're making. They say, hey, look, you know, our... We're trying to extend our careers. We're we're playing it straight. You know, we're not cheating. We're not taking steroids. And, you know, here you have this banjo hitting second baseman who all of a sudden is hitting 40 home runs. He's got my job. It's not fair. I mean, if I were the union, I would not be standing up with for the low lives who cheated because you cheated the other union members. Not yeah. I mean, no, yeah, no, thanks for I mean, see, that, and, and that, that's it. It's going to be interesting to see. Where where the union is, because like I say the commissioner is getting all sorts of static for her position, and he's saying, well, you you have to understand, you know, I, I didn't want to run afoul of the union, and the union said I could only interview some of these players, you know, if I gave them immunity and stuff like that, and the union is actually saying, well, no, that's not exactly true. I don't know exactly what went on here, but it th- this is. This is one of the problems with unions. This is not an indictment of unions, but unions have unions stick up for all the members. Well, what about a situation like this where you have the interests of some union members in direct conflict with the interest of other union members? For example, all the members of the union who belong to the Astros or who were on the Astros team in 2017, well, they they want the union to defend them. They want the union to look out for their interests. They don't want evil management to come down and take too much stuff away. Meanwhile, to the point that our caller Greg was making, what about what about all the players who played against the Astros in 2017? All those players who imagine what it would have done for their career if they had been able to go to the playoffs or go to the World Series. Or again, on a on a on a more personal note, hey, I would have um, I would have been able to sign an even bigger contract if uh, I'm a pitcher. If if I had an ERA of below 3.5, but you know I, I got I got just lit up every time I pitched against the Houston Astros. So you know my ERA was four or something. It cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, or it cost me this or that or whatever. Or maybe it's cost me a chance to, uh, again, go on and, um, I don't know, extend my career. All those different variables that are out there, and, and, and you're, if I'm there, I'm saying, okay, Union, I don't want you defending the, the slime bags who were, were cheating. I want you to stand up and defend the game. Let's talk to Kevin on the south side. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Uh, I, it, it's, 
it's a broad issue that uh, with with this scandal, I think that all the players on the team that were on the team need to be suspended for at least a year. Mm-hmm. I think that it's and and I know that that's that could decimate several ball clubs because some of the players are on different ball clubs now, but that's too bad. They're the ones who were involved in the cheating. And you can't say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was just following orders. We've heard that before in in many different aspects of life. I was just following orders. My only only issue with that is my understanding is that, that the commissioner promised the players immunity up front to get them to talk. So he's already promised them, if you tell us what happened, nothing bad is going to happen. Now, why in the world you would do that is, is kind of beyond me. So I'm not sure how hard they can come down on the players. I, I'm not sure they can suspend them. I'm frankly not even sure that they can bar them from the All-Star game. But I'd at least I'd at least try it and then see what happens in the court of public opinion. Right. Yeah. I, I gotcha. No, thank and again, I, I understand. I mean, because, right, it's this institutional type of type of thing that's out there. I don't know exactly, I don't think anybody knows exactly what the extent of the deal was that the, the union, that the, that the union insisted or that the commissioner came up with. But again, if, I mean, if you go to a player now and say, all right, here's the deal, I want you to tell me what happened and I promise that you know you're not going to be held accountable. Now, why in why in the world you would do that if you were the commissioner is, is beyond me. But but if that is in fact what happened, well now you can't go back and say okay I've changed my mind I'm I'm going to suspend you. There might be other things though that you can do. And again I I would come down on the organization like a ton of bricks. And I know they've done some things. They fined the organization a few million bucks. Big deal. They've um, banned them from doing some international signings. Big deal. To me, it's, it's hit them where it counts, and that would be like first of all, like no home playoff games for the next three years and things like that. But it's again, it's so frustrating because you have all these different walks of life where there's just there, there's not accountability because I, I my sense is that the players are going to walk away. They cheated. They were able to get World Series rings, which are now tainted. But, you know, you can't take away from the fact that they, they were the World Series champions, even though it's going to have an asterisk around it. But they did it by this systematic cheating. They were able to scam the system, and they're going to be able to walk away. And, again, that just bothers me, just like it bothers me that the crooked governor from Illinois is out a few years early, and just like it bothers me that this woman who managed to bilk the taxpayers out of $205 million walks out of prison 27 years before she's supposed to. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in the next hour of the program. All right, if I'm unhappy with Donald Trump... Does it seriously mean that my only alternative is going to be Bernie Sanders? Is that what the Democratic Party of the this country is going to put forth? Because I got to tell you, if that's the choice, even if you're considering maybe bailing on Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders to me is a non-starter. We will talk about that. We will also talk about a number of the um, perhaps surprises that came out of yesterday's election and at least one situation where I think the pundits – 
I think the pundits are getting it absolutely, totally wrong. I will explain. That's all coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Hey, let me t- just give you a little bit of a note. One of I, when I went to vote when, when I went to vote yesterday, the um, I, I used my my photo ID and uh, pulled out my driver's license, and the lady behind the counter said, "Oh, well, you don't have the real ID, so you're, you know you're not going to be able to use this to fly on a plane come this fall." And I said, "Well, I'm, I'm not worried about that because I have." I have a passport, and I also I'm part of the global entry program, so I've got the card. So I'm I'm covered, even though when my driver's license comes up in May, I, I do intend to go in with my birth certificate and my Social Security card or whatever else I need, and I, I intend to get the real ID thing. For those of you who who don't know about this, you need to because starting this fall, um, what you have to do to fly on a plane. You know, your your driver's license is not necessarily going to be a valid form of identification. You need what is called this real ID. And the real ID, I mean, it's issued by the DMV. It's a driver's license, but it's a driver's license with enhanced identification. When you go in to get it, you, you've got to you know, bring additional documents and things like that. If you don't, your driver's license, your Wisconsin driver's license, is not going to be valid. Now, like I say, if you've got a passport or you've got a global entry card or something, that that's fine. That that'll work. But a lot of people don't have that. And what's going on right now is there's this huge backlog. I'm looking at a story in the New York Times that, um, as it stands right now, that the DMVs are, are becoming sort of as they describe a type of urban hell where people spend hour after hour waiting to get or renew their driver's license. And it's getting worse as this new federal security requirement is forcing drivers who want to use their license to board a commercial flight to apply for renewals or new licenses in person at a motor vehicle office. So like, for example, in Wisconsin, you know, once you get your driver's license, if you don't want, you know, you, you can go eight years without having to go into the DMV. When it comes due in four years, you just send in the form, send in the money, boom, you're, you're all set. Well, if you want to get the real ID that allows fly, you can't do that anymore. I mean, you're going to have to actually go in in person, and that's leading to longer and longer lines. I bring this up only because I come this way but once. If, if you don't have a passport or you don't have a, a global entry card, just be aware of the fact that if you want to get on an airplane, your Wisconsin driver's license isn't going to be good unless it's one of these real ID things, which means you've got to get yourself down to the DMV and you've got to do it in a timely kind of fashion. So think about that ahead of time. And if it's one of those deals where, hey, I'm going to wait to the I don't have a passport. I don't have a global entry card. I'm planning a trip to Las Vegas and my driver's license expires in just a little bit. Okay, just be prepared. If you wait to the last minute, you might be out of luck. Just saying. All right. When we come back, Bernie Sanders, seriously. And what happened in Wisconsin yesterday? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We're going to talk about yesterday's elections in just a little bit. But first, let me be as clear as I can about this. Let us say, and I sent out a tweet 
just a little while ago. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Let us say, just for the sake of argument, that I have doubts about whether President Trump should be reelected. Maybe the pardoning stuff and the commutations yesterday was the the final brick in the wall. You know, maybe it was concerns about the impeachment. Maybe it's just the general attitude. Maybe it's the trade wars, whatever. Let's say for the sake of argument, I have doubts about whether President Trump should be reelected. Is Bernie Sanders really going to be the other major party option? Because I say that because if that's the case... Bailing on Trump is a complete and total non-starter. At least it, it is for me. I, I don't I don't want to hear about Trump's excesses. I, I don't want to hear about the quote-unquote unpresidential way he carries himself. Let's just be honest and lay our cards out on the table. There is no way in the world that I could ever see voting for a 78, 79, 80-year-old socialist to take over this country who wants to nationalize health care, who wants to forgive student loans, who wants to essentially destroy the insurance industry in this country, who wants to um, destroy the health care or at least nationalize the health care industry. I, I just, you know, at this point in time in this country's history, there's no way in the world that I would consider voting for a, a socialist. But yet it appears that that may very well be the choice. Yesterday, I, I talked briefly about this national poll that came out. It was a, it was by um, PBS and NPR and by Marist College. And, and it's a national poll. That, that's not how we select both our presidential candidates or the president. All right. But the national poll yesterday showed Bernie Sanders in first place, 31% of the vote, and Mike Bloomberg, who hasn't been on a prime, on a ballot yet, he had 19%, and everybody else was after that. But but Bernie Sanders was leading with 31% of the vote. Now, it's it's a plurality, but, but still, he was the dominant candidate. Today, there is a new poll out. This is by the Washington Post, ABC News. And again, I understand people don't believe polls, but this Just humor me in this. All right. This poll shows that Bernie Sanders has surged nationally and now holds a sizable lead over all of his rivals. And again, it's I understand it's a national poll. But if you let me just kind of pull up the numbers here. If you look at the numbers, you know what it suggests is that um, uh, Sanders has the support of 32% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning registered voters. That's up nine percentage points since January. So he's at 32%. Biden, who was at 32% in January, has fallen to 16%. So people are bailing on Joe Biden in a big way. Bloomberg, he's at 14%. So you've got... You know, Sanders at 32, Biden at 16, Bloomberg at 14, Elizabeth Warren at 12, Buttigieg, and this is a national poll, he's at 8, Klobuchar at 7. But, you know, Bernie Sanders, at least at this point in time, doesn't have a majority, but with 32% of the vote, and this is consistent with what he had yesterday in the other poll, 31%, he is the dominant force in the Democratic Party. And as you move on and on, his... 
I don't know, potential nomination perhaps becomes, you know, even more likely. I want to open up the phone lines on this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is there any way that you could conceive of voting for Bernie Sanders? Because I have to tell you, I, I, I can't. I, I, I can't. And I understand that Donald Trump is an incredibly flawed candidate. And I understand that there have been all sorts of controversies that are there. But I got to tell you, there is no way in the world that I could ever imagine myself supporting Bernie Sanders over Donald Trump. And I can't necessarily say that I'd say that about all the Democrats who are running. But I'm not ready. I can't imagine a situation where I'm going to vote for a socialist and I think the Democrats may well be on the verge of nominating Bernie Sanders. And I understand a lot of lot of ground to cover before this. And I understand that the Sanders supporters, the Bernie argument are the, the, the Bernie folks. I understand that they are devoted. They're passionate. They um, actually are kind of bullies when it comes to dealing with other candidates. But I think. If the Democrats nominate Bernie Sanders, which they may well be, do, I think it is a recipe for electoral disaster because I think there's a lot of other people, including me, who might, believe it or not, actually be open to voting for somebody other than Donald Trump. But there's no way we would pull the lever or fill out the ballot for Bernie Sanders. No way. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What say you? We discuss in just a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I remember 1972. I was not old enough to vote, but that was the year Nixon's running for re-election. And, and you've got the Vietnam War, which is raging on. You have protesters marching in the street and the democrats nominated one of the most liberal presidential candidates ever george mcgovern and and even running against richard nixon in the the economy was a mess back in 72 you know watergate hadn't really exploded but you had vietnam you you had uh, again this this very volatile sort of situation you had the economic problems matter of fact an econ- economic situation that we don't have now and we figured okay the bad economy you got vietnam we're going to nominate george mcgovern richard nixon went on to win i think 49 maybe 48 of the the 50 states it was a landslide because the Democrats nominated a far left-wing candidate, and America wasn't ready to go there. That that could play out again, because like I say, even if you have some problems and reservations with President Trump, I just can't see people pulling the lever for Bernie Sanders. I can't imagine a situation where I would pull the lever for Bernie Sanders. Barb in New Berlin. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello there. What do you think? I am... Well, my, my opinion is is I am definitely a Republican. However, I am very sorry to say that I am a never-Trumper. There's just too many flaws, blatant flaws there, that I just cannot tolerate and I cannot live with. However, I could not vote for Bernie either. And if that's what ends up happening, I, honest to God, do not know what I'm going to do. 
Um, yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, it, it's, I, you know, we, we kept being told four years ago it was a binary choice. You got to go with Trump or, or Hillary. I, I think that, I think Bernie Sanders would be so much wor- of a worse choice than Hillary was. And I, I just, see, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I get the issues with Trump, but, but who could vote for Bernie Sanders? Seriously. I mean, unless you're, you know, one of those hardcore true believers. I totally agree with you. I, I I couldn't agree more, which is why I had a call. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And I tell you, and, and th- this conversation that we're having, it's also playing out in, in Democratic Party circles because there are a lot of moderate Democrats. And the reason Democrats were able to take retake control of the House of Representatives back in uh, 2018, it, 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 it's not because of the AOCs and the squads of the world. Okay, Th- those were people that they're people that got elected from uber liberal districts that were always going to be a democratic district it's because they picked up 20 or 25 of these swing districts where you know that that are competitive all right well you put bernie sanders at the top of the ticket you make him the face of the modern democratic party and i think there's a lot of democrat operatives are saying this is going to this is going to kill us down ballot because we're going to have somebody who's I, I don't know, way, way, way far to the left. I don't know the most left-wing candidate that's, that's ever you know, run for president, but certainly one of a handful of them. And you know, what's that going to do to all the other people? Let's talk to Chuck in Mequon. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon there, Hi, Jeff. Jeff. Say, um, I, I have to agree with your previous caller. I, I cannot understand how anybody could want to vote for Donald Trump based on everything that has happened uh you know the guy has been oh i i don't know undescribable i guess but um you know let's remember that um you know hillary clinton did win the popular vote in the last election um and i too feel like bernie is probably too far out there um he'd be hard to vote for but i i feel good in that i think we have other alternatives on uh, we'll see what happens tonight there's another debate mm-hmm. and michael bloomberg's going to be on stage tonight and very interesting to see how he fares against bernie and joe and the rest of the candidates who do you think is the most likely person to, to be the democrat nominee as we sit here now It's really tough. Uh, I, I up until a short time ago, I would have said Joe. Yeah, but his, but, his uh, campaign is is on life support right now. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and uh, I guess that's why um, I'm, I'm hoping it's not too late for Bloomberg to be jumping in. Do I you just, agree I, with? I hope. Do you agree with my premise that if if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, there's a good chance that it is an electoral disaster for Democrats. I think you could be right. Okay. Are they, they, yeah. no, no, and I, I just I and and this may very well be the case because again you have the, the Sanders supporters. It it's I understand people say that the folks that support President Trump are, are part of a cult. The Sanders supporters are a cult too. And I mean, if you, you just I mean I've been I've been reading some of these stories about the the way they go after the other Democratic candidates. It, it's a cult, and it, it's a cult that appeals to about 30% of the Democrat Party. But the way the primary thing is scheduled, is set up, you know, if, if you've got 30% of the vote, you're going to continue to get the majority of the delegates. And and right now, with that split, I mean, I think the, the odds are, 
that Bernie Sanders is going to win. Uh, there's a new poll out in California. He's he's up huge in California, huge as they say, and 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 that's all well and good. I just. Even despite all the foibles and the issues with Donald Trump, and believe me, I understand a lot of them, I just don't think America is ready for for a socialist. Now, maybe I'll be proved wrong. Uh, Nancy in Burlington. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Nancy. I um, Four years ago, I could have never seen myself voting for Bernie Sanders. Never. But right now, ourselves, my husband and I, too many people I know are drowning in the health care costs. We're going down. Um, I've taken care of too many patients who can't afford their insulin. I'm an RN. We, my husband and I, were getting close to retirement. And um, I'd like to retire at 62. Without Obamacare, I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I recently, our insurance is so bad where I'm employed right now. I had to cut my hours back to go on my husband's plan mm-hmm. because our insurance was so bad. So, what what are you what are you going to do? Healthcare is the hugest issue I think in this election, and Trump has done nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing so, to help us. So you're you're ready to jump on board the the Medicare for all plan the idea. I don't know about the Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. I'd be happy if you could buy. Why why can't you buy into Badger Care? Why can't you buy on a sliding fee scale? into your state, state's Medicaid. Nancy, you know, it's 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 funny you make that call because I think you can make a very strong argument that as far as price and options, those of us in Wisconsin, we were so much better eight years ago than we are today because then you had the competition, you had the options, the people that were um, kind of frozen out of the regular system had the had the, the special things that they could go to through the state. No, I think I mean it, it's a it's a valid issue that's out there, and I I get it. And I, you know the interesting thing I made this point yesterday. Bernie Sanders, he's running into problems in Nevada, which is heavily unionized. The Democratic voters heavily unionized because you have other casino workers and stuff. And they don't want the, the union workers, as a general rule, don't want Medicare for all because they got great health insurance. Their health insurance under any sort of socialized medicine program isn't going to be as good as what they have now. And they don't want to give it up. So health care is a thorny sort of issue. Look, I, I don't know how this is all going to play out. And I just I continue to believe that there's going to be some there's going to be a winnowing of the candidates that happens. Maybe it's going to be on Super Tuesday. And and then you're not going to have this clear path to the nomination for Bernie Sanders. But I I stand by this. I am I'm open to alternatives to President Trump. I really am. But but Bernie Sanders, it's, it's not. I mean, I am not ready to fundamentally remake American society in, in the vision of socialism. And I got to tell you, I, I don't think most people are. Time will tell. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I was wrong. At the start of the program, I, I said in the first hour I would have alienated everybody. It actually took an hour and a half. You know, it's because <clears throat> now now it's like stop pandering to the left. You know, which which is something I don't know that I've ever been accused of doing. Stop pandering to the left by saying that you don't think Donald Trump is perfect. 
Oh, you're calling half the country a cult for supporting President Trump? No, I. there's all sorts of, I, I think, reasoned people who support the president. But there is, it is sort of a cult in some respects, the folks that just don't think the president can do anything wrong. And it, it, it has been one of the interesting things about doing the show over the last several years because there, there is no more nuance in American politics anymore. That That's just one of the realities of, of this. If you say... Gee, I think the president was way out of line in issuing all these commutations that he did yesterday. I, I think it was an affront to justice. And by the way, that's what I think. I think it's just uh, then, then you're saying, oh, stop that. You're just you'll go, go work for MSB and MSABC NBC. Well, no, I mean, the president is not perfect. On the other hand, if you say, hey, look, this economy is is doing pretty well, and I think I might have been wrong. You know, the, the trade wars that the president launched, I thought that they were going to be disastrous. And, and right now, at least, they, they appear to perhaps his strategy was working. China is, in fact, kind of like reigning in some of its more aggressive policies. And if you say that, then you go, oh, oh that, that can't be. Don't you understand this man doesn't know anything about the economy, and he went through all these different bankruptcies. The, the truth is... You know, nothing is white and nothing is black. And, you know, it, it's that's true with any sort of politician that's out there. So um, the, the bottom line is I think this election is very, very volatile. As I've said repeatedly, people will ask me, well, who do you think is going to win? There is no way Trump can win. I said, oh, I wouldn't take that position. Or Trump's a lock. I wouldn't take that position either. I think a lot of it depends. And the primary thing it depends on is who the other major party puts up to run against him. I will say this. If it's an Elizabeth Warren or it's a Bernie Sanders, I, I'm in the Trump camp 110% because I don't want to see this country turn to socialism. And at this point in our nation's history, the idea of, gee, we would be so much better off if we closely, more closely resembled the Soviet Union in 1944, um, you know, you know, talk to people who lived under Soviet rule. I mean, and, and the idea of, well, I'm a democratic socialist as opposed to just a socialist, you know, give me a break. Bernie Sanders has a pie-in-the-sky view of the world, which I, I think would be disastrous for this country. And, and so, yeah, you want to get me on the Trump train? Nominate Bernie Sanders. It makes it easy. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is a message directed to the pearl clutchers in the Wisconsin State Senate. You know, the people who are just clutching those pearls because they're afraid that, gosh, if I don't, somebody's going to come in, they're going to steal my pearl necklace. Many of whom, by the way, are Republican acquaintances of mine. So to all you pearl clutchers in the state Senate, for God's sake, during the Democratic National Convention, let the bars stay open till 4 o'clock in the morning. If a bunch of wealthy Democrats from New York want to stay in the hotel bar and spend $15 for a martini, why the hell wouldn't we let them do that? Let me explain the latest development. All right, right now, I think everybody knows the state of Wisconsin regulates how late bars can stay open. It's a general rule on weeknights. You can stay open at 2 in the morning. Uh, weekday, uh, weekends, Friday and Saturday, you can stay open till, um, 2.30. And there's an exception, I think, for New Year's Eve. But, but it's, it's regulated by state law. So, in July, we are going to have 50,000 conventioneers who are going to be descending into Wisconsin. These people are going to be, number one, selecting a vice a candidate to run for president as a Democrat. But number two, they're going to be coming with wallets full of money that they want to spend on all sorts of things. All right. The movement, the idea has been, 
let us, during the Democratic National Convention, let's let the bars stay open till 4. Oh, 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 I can feel them clutching their pearls. Oh, you're going to let the bars stay open till 4? Well, it could be all these problems there. Okay, well, you, you let them, you know, you let them stay open till 4. Now, in order to do that, you need legislation. So the legislature has to act. All right, first of all, the Assembly got this. And the Assembly who um, a number of members who are unfortunately are kind of beholden to the Tavern League, originally held up this legislation by linking it with another piece of legislation that the Tavern League wants, which would have required the wedding barns to get liquor licenses. It has nothing to do with the Democratic National Convention. But but it, the idea was, here, we want to have these wedding barns. We don't want people to bring, be able to have weddings at these places and bring their own liquor. All right. So what ultimately happened is after enough public pressure, those two concepts were separated. So a bill that essentially would allow all right, bars to stay open during Democratic Convention until 4 o'clock in the morning, it, it passed through committee, and it's going to be approved by the Assembly probably next week. All right, The bill would allow, I mean, it would apply statewide. So, you know, during the Democratic National Convention, bars could stay open to four, but, but, but municipalities could opt out. So the idea would be, hey, if um, Wisconsin Dells decides, no, we, we don't want this, the, the Democratic National Convention, there's nobody staying here, we don't think it's a good idea, they could opt out. If Milwaukee wanted to opt out, they could opt out. But this gives communities the opportunity to keep the bars open till four. All right. Now, to me, that solves all the problems. You don't have to do it. Municipalities can opt out. Fine. All right. Well, now the latest story is so it's got to go to the Senate. Tony Evers, to his credit, has said he would sign this. All right. So now it goes to the state Senate, or it will go to the state Senate. And Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, who is going to be the next congressman from, you know, the district that Jim Sensenbrenner represents, um, he's. He's, this is what he's quoted in the paper saying. To be honest with you, it's kind of lost a little bit of steam. I've had members approach me saying what the fallout could be about the extension, whether it's a high-profile case of drunk driving. There's some concerns about this. Um, why is this only being done for the convention, and does it make any sense? Um, so the concern is... Fitzgerald said he's concerned about allowing uh, strip clubs, which hold similar licenses, to stay open later because of recent cases of human trafficking tied to such businesses. Human trafficking tied to such businesses. So, okay, if during a 10-day period around the district, uh, around the Democratic National Convention, we allow these strip clubs to stay open an extra hour, they're going to somehow engage in human trafficking. Scott, I'm sorry. That's a stupid argument. I, 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 don't, I mean, okay, if you've got a strip club that's engaged in prostitution or something, all right, like like they're suddenly going to start doing it because they're open at 3.30 instead of 2.30. I, I just – this this is the type of stuff which just frustrates me to no end. Look, I'm death on drunk driving. I, I understand that. But I think – I'm not even convinced that allowing the bars to stay open an extra hour is going to lead to a significant incidence of of drunk driving. If anything, I think you might be able to make the argument that instead of, hey, it's closing time, last call, having people pound down drinks and then get behind the wheel of the car, I think, you know, that might lead to more to drunk driving. But let's face it, the vast majority of people 
who are going to be here for the Democratic National Convention, they're not driving great lengths of times. They're staying in hotels. They're in downtown Milwaukee, and they're, they're walking around to different bars and restaurants. They're, they're not jumping in their cars and driving 30 miles. I mean, this is designed around conventions. And my guess is the overwhelming number of people who are going to be drinking, quote unquote, after hours are going to be doing it in their hotel bars or in bars that are immediately around their hotel. And just because you allow a tavern, for example, to stay open till four o'clock in the morning doesn't mean that the tavern has to. And my guess is that there's going to be a lot of taverns that aren't getting business from the Democratic National Convention, they're they're not going to stay open till 4 o'clock in the morning either. This, to me, is just one of these common-sense things that, given the fact that it is an extraordinary, probably once-in-a-lifetime event for this community, it's an opportunity for us to perhaps be a little bit more convention-friendly. It's an opportunity for the restaurant owners and the bar owners to make a bunch of extra money. And my question would be, okay, why not? Let's open up the phone lines, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, look, I'm death on drunk driving. Like I say, and I... I, I understand I'm the guy that says nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2.30 in, in the morning. But in this particular case, my guess is the vast number of people that are going to be taking advantage of this, they're not going to be they're, they're not going to be out on the streets. This is designed that, hey, you know, you're in that hotel bar. You know, if you want to stay and have a couple extra beers or $15 martinis, you do. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, apparently, you have a couple of Republicans in the state Senate who are saying, well, we're not sure that we should do this because, well, somebody might get drunk and get behind the wheel of a car. Well, look, yeah, somebody might get drunk and drive behind, get behind the wheel of a car. If that's your concern... Well, this is to my Republican friends in the legislature. Why don't you get off your butts and make first-time drunk driving offense a crime instead of a municipal violation like it is in Wisconsin, contrary to 49 other states? I'm, I'm sorry. Until you get serious on first offense drunk driving, you're not going to convince me that you're really that worried. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. Gru is lining up the calls. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have a text from Chris. Jeff, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, why would you not want to allow Milwaukee businesses to make as much legal money as possible? This is a very rare opportunity for the city, and both sides should make the most most memorable for all the visitors as possible. And and, and that's my, my answer to this as, as well. And why... The state Senate, including Republicans in the state Senate, would decide to hang this up is, frankly, just absolutely beyond me. Look, here, here's the reality of this. You know, they're, they're, if this law is, is written, would pass, right, it gives municipalities the, the ability to opt out. So if you have a particular municipality that says, all right, we're we're concerned about drunk driving or, you know, we don't think that there's enough spill or we just think it's bad public policy or whatever. You can opt out. So it's it's not that you have to do it. My guess is, like I say, the the 
the vast majority of bars that decide to stay open an extra hour and a half, they're only going to do it if they're going to be getting business. And it's not going to be in the remote places that people have to drive great distances to. It's going to be in the area it's going to be at the hotels, and it's going to be, you know, probably in the area around the Pfizer Forum, and it's going to be in the areas, you know, within walking distance of the various hotels. I mean, that that's where the delegates are going to be. That's where the money is going to be. It, it's just really simple. And, and to me, we're just throwing in all these straw man arguments and taking something that should be simple and straightforward. Yeah, we're having this huge convention here. We have all these people who are coming and who are wanting to spend money. And and look, I I went to I went to one one political convention. I went went to one, and I will tell you at that convention was I up at three o'clock in the morning drinking beer? No, I wasn't. I mean, okay, my my days of staying up at three o'clock till three o'clock in the morning and drinking beer or drinking martinis or whatever are long past. I mean, I'm three o'clock in the morning. If I'm getting up, it, it's not to go to the bar; it's to go to the bathroom. That's just the reality of kind of where my life is. And my guess is that's going to be the way for a lot of people. But it is a big party, and. It, especially given that it's a party that's going to be so self-contained, most of the activity is going to be in the area around the Pfizer Forum or around the various hotels that the delegates and people are staying at. And if those bars want to stay open, for goodness sakes, why not let the bars stay open? And and this idea that, well, allowing them to stay open an extra hour might lead to more drunk driving, I don't know, then why do we allow it to happen on New Year's Eve? I mean, seriously. I mean, if that's going to be the argument, you know, why why, why do we allow them to stay open until 2 in the morning or 2.30 in the morning? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2.30. Why don't we close them at midnight? Why don't we close them at 11 o'clock at night? I mean, if, if that's... If that's going to be the argument, let's carry it to the logical extension. I said yesterday, I I think, candidly, I think municipalities should have the right to set their own bar closing times. A lot of people don't agree with me, but that's all well and good. In this particular case, it does seem to me it's a no-brainer. And if, for example, the city of Milwaukee wants to allow the bars around Pfizer Forum to stay open so the owners can make a few extra bucks, I'd say let them stay open so they can make a few extra bucks. But will this pass? I I don't know. But for all those people, Republicans and Democrats in the state Senate, clutching those pearls, saying, oh, we're afraid that the sky is going to fall. Well, okay, if you're really concerned about drunk driving and things like that, give me a call because I'll give you I'll give you about five or six ideas, meaningful things you could do to reduce drunk driving and still allow you to open the bar, let the bar stay open till four o'clock. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Coming up in about 10 minutes, I have one of those segments that I do from time to time that I need your help. And and that is, I need you to be completely, totally, absolutely, 100% honest in your response. I, I need you to be absolutely honest. And it's going to be... It's, I'm not going to be judgmental, I promise, but I need I need you to be honest in addressing the issue we're going to talk about. I'll explain that. That's coming up in about 10 minutes. Yesterday, there was the primary election, and for some of you, you had a lot of stuff on the ballot. If you were in Milwaukee County, um, the primary election to narrow the race for the county executive to replace Chris Abley. If you lived in the city of Milwaukee, you had not only the county executive race, but you had the four-way primary for the mayor. If you live where I live, there was nothing on the ballot beyond the state Supreme Court position. But anyway, Anyways, people went out and voted. 
Uh, turnout, I think, uh, a little bit lower than they predicted, but but in general, you know, it's not surprising for a February primary. All right, here here are some of the election results, my instant analysis, and why I think some people are getting stuff completely wrong. In the perhaps most significant race, um, that would be the state Supreme Court race, Daniel Kelly, who's been on the bench, Justice Kelly, who's been there for four years, he is the conservative candidate. He is a very bright guy. He is the conservative candidate. He will be challenged by Dane County Circuit Judge Jill Karofsky, who she's been on the bench for a couple years, very, very controversial, very, very liberal. Um, if, If you look at the votes that Kelly got and you add up the votes that uh, Karofsky, who is the liberal, and Ed Fallone, who is the other liberal, who is a Marquette law professor who runs, he's kind of like Don Quixote chasing at windmills. If you add them up, what you have, it's about 50-50, split between liberal and conservative. The left are all a titter about this race because the election for the state Supreme Court is going to be on the same day as the Democrat primary. And the the thinking is that, oh, Democrats are going to turn out in large numbers. Republicans won't be as motivated to vote. So even though Kelly is more qualified than Garofsky, what's going to happen is she's going to get swept in on this wave of people turning out to vote for Bernie Sanders. That is the conventional wisdom. I don't subscribe to that. I think I think that there's going to be a lot more conservative voters showing up than people think. I also think that there's going to be a lot, maybe not the Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren voters, but I think there's going to be a lot of voters who might turn out to vote for Michael Bloomberg or vote for um, some of the other Democrat candidates, the Joe Bidens of the world or the Amy Klobuchar's or the Pete Buttigieg's, if they're still on the ballot by April, who are are going to be voting for Daniel Kelly. Um, Because when it comes to state Supreme Court, I mean, people want conservative law and order judges on the bench. And I will tell you something, uh, Jill Karofsky, she is certainly not a conservative. She is certainly not a law and order candidate. So the conventional wisdom says that Kelly is the underdog. I don't buy this at all. I think there's going to be, especially as this campaign plays out, and people see the differences between those two candidates, I think Kelly's going to be a very, very formidable candidate. So for Republicans who think, oh, this is going to be an uphill race, treat it like it's an uphill race, but don't be surprised if he wins by perhaps a larger margin than some people think. All right, some of the other elections that are interesting, Chris Larson, as I predicted, Chris Larson and David Crowley, they they both advance to the county executives race both are liberals don't know what this means for milwaukee county i would say crowley is probably less liberal than larson chris abley will be supporting david crowley too soon to see what's going to happen but i I don't know about crowley but if chris larson gets in i'm telling you taxpayers of milwaukee county i'm not one of you anymore but I, i empathize with you and i certainly feel your pain if chris larson gets elected county executive um, you might as well put up a sign, you know, throughout all the suburbs saying, will the last person to leave Milwaukee County please turn out the lights? The race for mayor, Tom Barrett comes in first comfortably. Interestingly, Lena, don't you know who I am? Taylor, she emerges as the alternative. It, it's it's going to be a circus. Look, I, I don't think she's going to beat Barrett. 
Um, she's got there's there's baggage and there's baggage and Lena Taylor has baggage. I mean, trust me on this one. Um, but it's going to be an interesting campaign. She's going to be a flamethrower. I don't think she's going to end up beating Tom Barrett. We'll say it's probably going to be a more you know interesting race than it would have been if somebody else had emerged. Tony Zelinsky runs third. He's been running it seems for mayor forever, and just um his his message of hey I I'm I'm a moderate. I'm not nuts did not seem to resonate with voters in the city of Milwaukee, um, hmm, which says something maybe about voters in the city of Milwaukee. So, I mean, those are some of the big races that were there. Uh, Grant Langley, who's been the city attorney and is a really, really good guy since 1984, he runs second to a candidate supported by Gwen Moore. His name is um, Tierman Spencer. Really don't know a lot about him, but he, he had more votes than Langley did. This is going to be an interesting race as well. Grant Langley's a really good guy. Interestingly enough, the guy that ran third, Vince Bobbitt, Vince is a really good guy as well. I, I know him. Um, he, he's run, seems like, for everything and, and hasn't won, and so you wonder how many more times he's going to be doing that. He would have been a great city attorney as well, but he ends up running third. Bottom line is, there's going to be some there's going to be some interesting and competitive races around the area, and it's going to be fun to talk about them over the course of the next uh, month and a half. All right, when we come back, I need you to be completely, totally, 100% honest. That is my challenge. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, Rue. Melissa, I, I am afraid I am guilty. I sent just sent out a tweet, and I am afraid that I am guilty of too much institutional memory, perhaps being a dinosaur and maybe being too obscure. All right, so I, I want to – you guys give me the test on this. All right, here's the deal. Um, if, as you probably know, the Republican Party – opened up a field office in the city of Milwaukee about two weeks ago. Um, the office is at uh, 2242 North King Drive. All right. So and it, it got all this attention because, oh, the Republicans are opening up a field office in, you know, in the, the heart of Democratic Milwaukee. And I said, yeah, that, I, I mean, I, I thought it was great that, that they're that they're doing this. So um, I guess I'm perhaps a little bit surprised that it took this long. But the place was vandalized yesterday. I mean, that's the breaking story. Um, somebody came out and. Uh, JS Online has it painted the word scum on the, the door and, you know, painted, you know, other stuff on, on the window, you know, you know, stay classy. Okay. So that, that, that's the deal. That's, that, that's the story. Nobody hurt, but, but vandalized. And I guess, candidly, I'm maybe a little bit surprised that, you know, some creep hadn't done it before this, but it took about 10 or 11 days. Okay. So I send out a tweet. I send out a tweet with a link to the story and you can see it. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And what I wrote was, and it's a story, again, to the, the vandalism of the, the Republican headquarters. I said, well, at least the Democrats didn't slash tires this time. And now it's occurring to me that that might be a little bit obscure. Now, Melissa, do mm-hmm. you know what I was referring to? I, I don't. Okay, fair enough. Gru, do you know what I was referring to? No. All right. I, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of uh, that's. That's it. It's what happens when you do this for a long time. And I wanted to bring that up because... I now have to explain myself, but that's okay. All right. In 2004, in 2004, this was when President Bush was running for election, re-election, 
are very contested. You know, John Kerry was his opponent and stuff like that. The Republican Party in Milwaukee had had a campaign office. And what they had done is they had rented like a 100 vans that were going to be used to drive worker to drive voters to the polls. It was all part of this like get out the vote effort. And um, what happened was you had uh, the vans were parked outside the GOP campaign office. And what happened is you had four Democratic operatives who came out and who slashed the tires. Of, and this, this is a big national story in 2004, but I understand that's 15 years ago. But they came out and they, they slashed the tires of these campaign vans, making it much more difficult for the Republicans to be able to get their poll watchers and get their, their voters to, to the polls. And so this was a story that got national attention. Now, the other interesting aspect of it, of, of the four, one, one of the four that was involved and was convicted of this was... Gwen Moore's kid, Gwen Moore's son, um, who happens to be a county executive, a, a, a county supervisor now in the small world category. Now he's calling himself Supreme Moore Omokundi. But, um, you know, uh, he was one of the four operatives at the time he was Sawande Omokunde, son of U.S. Representative Gwen Moore, um, uh, another one of them sentenced was the son of the former acting mayor of Milwaukee. But these were Democratic oper- operatives who went out and slashed tires. So I, I just bring this up because there is sort of a history of vandalism of Republican Party op- offices and things like that. And I couldn't help but think of that when I saw – now, in this case, it's paint. So presumably you go up, you buy some paint, you, you paint over this. My guess is this is not, unfortunately, going to be the last time – that people don't uh, that people try not to that people try to vandalize the Republican Party office in in Milwaukee but there is a history so if you happen to be one of the people that follow me on Twitter and you just got that tweet where I'm pointing to this and saying at least they didn't slash tires this time and you're wondering what the reference is it's because I remember 2004 and I remember when you had the slashing of tires and the effort to stop Republicans from being able to get their voters and their poll watchers out to the poll. This, um, at least it's not tire slashing, but it's not the first time that this has gone on. Interestingly, the Republican Party says we're not going to be deterred by this. We will be back. Okay. I need you to be completely honest, and I'm very sincere about this. Um, I'm one of these guys that votes in almost every election. I mean, I, I went yesterday. It was very apparent that uh, the the two people that were going to emerge in the state Supreme Court race were going to be the very, very liberal Dane County Judge Joe Karofsky and and Justice Dan Kelly. Where I live, that was the only race that was on the ballot. And and the, the truth of the matter is... Those were going to be the two candidates that emerged, whether I went out and voted or, or not. There was no other race on the ballot, but I I took you know ten or fifteen minutes and I drove up and I voted. Right, I vote in almost every election. Now I'm I, I'm sure if you, if you wanted to go back and look over the course of the last thirty years, maybe you would find some like nonpartisan primary, probably like a day like yesterday, where where maybe I, I hadn't voted, but but. You know, all the major elections, um, I, I vote. I, I just and, – and, you know, most of the times I do it 
I show up in person. Not always, but but most of the times I show up in person because I think it's cool. I, I just I admit I love everything about the voting experience. You know, you, you walk in and and sometimes you have to wait in line, and that's okay. And I love getting the ballot and filling it out and sticking it in that machine. There's something just so incredibly American about that. I just and I, I enjoy the whole process of doing that. So I make a point. Uh, of voting. And I think, like I said, I'm willing to bet that if you went back and you looked at my voting record over the last couple decades, you would find that there, there, I probably missed one or two along the way, but they again would be some of the obscure elections. And, uh, there was probably like nothing really contested that was on, on the ballot. I love voting. I know, though, that there are people out there. Well, I mean, the turnout yesterday was less than 20% statewide. So that means of eligible voters, you know, only one out of every five voted. But even in presidential races, where you've got all these different races that are on the ballot, you know, voter turnout, maybe about 50%, maybe slightly more, maybe slightly less. But there are a lot of us who who don't vote. Um, maybe there's something that motivates you in a particular race to go out, but but a large number of people just just don't vote. That's just the reality, and I I don't I don't have a problem with that either. I I think I think people should vote. I encourage people to vote, but at the same time, if you make the decision that you know you, you're just not interested, you don't care, don't want to go out and vote, whatever, I, you have the right to do that. It is still a free country, but I admit I don't understand it. All right, here's the deal. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I want you to be honest. And and not whether you voted yesterday or not, because like I say, yesterday, a lot of, there wasn't a lot on the ballot and things like that. But if you are somebody who rarely, if ever, votes, be honest and tell me why that is. Because, I, look, and I, I understand... If you're listening to a program like mine, chances are you're probably more likely to be a voter. You know, we do the surveys and, you know, people who listen to shows like this, you know, you many cases, whether you agree with me or about my political opinions or not, you're going to run through brick walls to go out and vote. But nevertheless, I, I we have a wide and diverse audience. And I know that there are people who listen to the show and might, you know, be up on current events or whatever, but still make the decision not to vote. So our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want you to be honest. If you are one of the people that rarely, if ever, votes, my question to you is, why? And I'm not going to abuse you for, for, for not voting, but I know you're out there. And I'm curious as to what it is. And what I might try to get into then is what it would take to get you to say, okay, I am going to go to the polls. But if you are a non-voter, why? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss and just talk about it in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, a lot of people vote, but a lot of people don't. If you're one of those people who rarely, if ever, votes, my question is, is why? 855-616-1620. Be honest. Let's start with Vicki in Dowsman. Vicki, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Okay, you are um, a, a rare vote a rare voter. Yes. Okay, tell me why. Um, I don't like who runs for pre- you know, like anything. Whoever runs, most of the people I don't care for. 
and they all promise you things and look at all the way everything goes. They don't, they don't stick with what they're, what they're really running for and they don't succeed, you know, and they tell you all these lies and I don't want to vote and be lied to. So the, the general attitude is you kind of view, you put all politicians, regardless of political party and stuff, you kind of put them all in a big bag and say, they're, they're all just a bunch of liars, I can't trust any of them, and I don't want to be part of the process. Yeah. Okay. Actually, you talked me into voting once in my <laughs> when I started voting in when I was 57 years old, uh, Scott Walker. Okay. And well, I did it because you talked me into it. And, okay. Well, all right. Um, and, and, and you haven't gone back You haven't gone back to vote since, huh? Is that what you're telling me? No. Uh, no. <laughs> no, because my, daughter, my daughter-in-law is a school teacher. Okay. So she and after I did it, I felt horrible. <laughs> she, 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 didn't, she didn't like Walker. Okay. Well, Vicki, I appreciate your candor. I mean, thanks for calling. Look. And this is this segment. It's a judgment-free zone. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not going to beat him up. I just, I legitimately don't understand because I, like I say, I vote almost every election, and I'm willing to bet. I mean, I remember the first election that I was old enough to vote for, vote in, um, was the presidential election, the Jimmy Carter Gerald Ford election. I remember. I voted absentee. You know, I was in college. I, I mean, that's. I remember all this, and I still get a little bit of a rush going down to the polling place and and voting. And again, like I say, yesterday I had one one lousy race, not lousy race, but one race on the ballot. And and yeah, I, I mean, I went out of my way, and my wife and I we went up and we we walked in together and we we voted. And it's just, I think it's cool to do eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Let's see. What's worse, the non-voter or the uneducated voter? Well, I, I, I mean, I don't know who who's to say who's educated and who's not. But that that's really not the point of what I'm talking about. I'm I'm just kind of because people make the decision not to. Jeff, my aunt is 60 years old. She never votes. She thinks it will keep her out of jury duty. Um, okay. Jeff, about 6.30 yesterday evening, I felt guilty that I hadn't voted. I grabbed my coat and I went. I cast the vote. I was home in 15 minutes. Yeah, you know, I, I, yesterday I had one of those days where I had all sorts of different stuff going on. And, um, I, I was thinking it really would be easy not to, not to drive where 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 I vote now is is not necessarily that convenient. I mean, it's a little ways away. I mean, you get in the car, you drive up there and do it. And it would have been really, really easy not to have voted. But I know I would have been like the, the texture there. It would have been six thirty. I would have been sitting at home, and I would have gone. Um, gosh, I just. I, I just I feel you know really bad about this. Or I, last night at six thirty, I was at, on my way to the Marquette basketball game, which was another debacle. But that's another story. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ron in Greenfield. Hi, Ron. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Never voted in my entire life, and two reasons why. Number one, I really strongly feel that the upper government knows exactly who they want in there, and they pacify you by letting you vote but they already have who they want in there. The other one is you could listen Wait, let me, to these uh, let, me, let, me, let me stop. Let me stop. We'll, we'll make your second point. But you you think the whole process is is fixed. You think that 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 it, it's just kind of preordained. There's people somewhere that just kind of decides who's going to win, and so the whole process is fixed? Yes, I, I really believe that. 
they okay. come up with the numbers at the end of voting, and, and that's that's who's coming in, in into uh, office. Okay. Okay, and you're, you're. And the other reason, the other reason is you have someone with great ideas, and they get voted in, you vote them in, and then they try putting their ideas through, and the House kicks it out, the Senate kicks it out, Congress kicks it out, and here you have this guy with great ideas, nothing gets passed, and now where are you? So you just don't think, apart from being fixed, you just don't think it it matters that it, that it's not going to make any difference one way or the other. Exactly. Okay. Thanks for call. This is a non-judgmental zone. I. Yeah, um, I don't know. For people who think it's it's fixed and preordained, uh, you know, maybe Hillary Clinton would agree with you. Jeff, here's a text. I haven't voted since I was 18. I'm 34 now. I have no interest in politics whatsoever. I had to take a quiz once online to figure out if I was Republican or Democrat. Turns out I'm a Republican, but I just don't have any interest in politics. I will vote this year only because I think I'm being brainwashed by political ads, either on Facebook or on TV or on the radio. All right, uh, Jeff, I proudly voted nearly every election since 1980 when I voted for independent John Anderson for president. Jeff, my boyfriend is 36 and never voted. I don't miss any election. His reasoning is all politicians are liar and liars and that his vote will not matter. Jeff, I vote in every election. I voted in every election for 20 years. Um, I was a chief election inspector. I think it's a privilege, and I think if you don't vote, you don't get to complain. I think you get to complain regardless, but I I, I, I find it interesting. Um, I I think for a lot of people, it's just that they think they're too busy. And I, I guess I just don't I don't understand that because I do think elections matter and I think individual votes matter. And if you look particularly at some of the elections that we've had over the last 20 years here in Wisconsin, you know, you've seen elections decided by a very, very small number of votes one way or the other. And, and you might say well, it's 4000 votes, but 4000 votes out of a million three or whatever. That's you know, that's that really does matter. And I think um I, I'm one of my missions, and I'm, I'm not going to stand up and you know preach about this over the course of the la- next eight or nine months. But you know, one of my missions is going to be uh, Vicky, who called in. So the only time she voted was because I talked her into it. Okay, I, I'm going to try to talk Vicky and, and other Vickies like that into going out and voting again. And it's not so much, you know, necessarily the candidates that I support, but it's it's participating in the process because I, I do think this is a uniquely American endeavor and I think maybe just maybe some people who, who haven't voted for who haven't participated in the process maybe once you go maybe once you go you'll you'll get that same feeling that I get every time I go about how, how cool this is that once every two years or four years or six years or, or whatever or 10 years in the case of Supreme Court justices, we, we get together collectively and we decide who it is that we want to represent ourselves. And for the ultimate cynics out there who think this is that there's some like group that decides who these people are, I'm going to try to convince you that that's not the case either, that individual votes do matter. That's my mission. This is Jeff Wagner.